Ever wonder if you should turn your service business into a product business? Or if you get as many conversions on your offer as you should? Feel like your funnel's a little leaky, but have no clue how to find the holes and patch them up? Well, you're about to find out. Welcome to the I Want to Know podcast. I'm Josh Spector, and I'm your host. I'm also the creator of the For the Interested newsletter, which you can check out at fortheinterested.com slash subscribe. My guest today is Coach Claire Bartholik. She's got all those questions I mentioned, and I'm about to hopefully help her answer them. Claire has helped hundreds of real runners chase their dreams and conquer what they never thought possible. Her coaching philosophy combines science-based training, plant-based running nutrition, and proven mindset techniques to unlock every runner's true potential. She's a certified running coach, sports nutrition specialist, two-hour and 58-minute marathoner, which sounds impossible to me, and borderline obsessive plant lover. Hey, Claire, welcome to the show. Hey, Josh. Thank you so much for having me. I am excited to talk to you and also intimidated because I don't, I'll give you a quick running story before we start. Uh, A few years ago, I was like, oh, I should get more exercise. Maybe I'll try and go for a run. I think I made it maybe two blocks and then was like, oh yeah, I don't really like running. But it did start a walking habit because I refused to go back home after two blocks. So Perfect. I started walking and, and now walk every day. So not a runner, but a walker anyway. Well, that's that's good. And you know what? I hated running for the first year that I was a runner. So it grows on you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool. So let's let's jump into it. What is the first thing you want to know? Well, I am wanting to know, should I focus on making things that I'm already doing even better or should I start shifting to other things? As as a coach, obviously, it's very me-centric. You know, I do a lot of custom things. I spend a lot of time with my clients and I obviously only have so much bandwidth. So is it time to have a little product on the side? Is it time to have some kind of entry level thing going on that requires less of me. I I like this question because I think it's something that everybody struggles with. And ironically, it's one of those things that in some ways I feel like the more successful you become in your service business, the more you struggle with it because you realize this is quote unquote working, but I can only work with so many people. I only have so much time. I can only charge so much. I can only scale so much. Mm -hmm. So it's very familiar to me. So Let's start with, tell me a bit about sort of your current business structure, what you offer, who you, how many people you work with, what are the typical engagements like that? Like sort of give us a, a baseline for where you're at. I have several levels of coaching. The first level is one-on-one, and that's broken down into some levels of service there. And then I have a team, so that's group coaching. And then the third level is custom training plans. So I will create a custom training plan for you for your marathon or whatever it is. But then all the coaching is on your own. It's still really comprehensive. You get Mm -hmm. a lot with the custom training plan, but it takes, you know, some effort out of me to set it up for you. Mm-hmm. So right now, I actually just did all the math before this recording. Right. So I'm working with 64 people right wow. now. Yeah, 41 of them are on the team. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of them are some level of one-on-one coaching. So I don't think I have too much bandwidth left for any more one-on-one. But the way mm-hmm. the team is structured, 
I think I have enough room for a hundred. I think a hundred would be my max. And I was hoping to get there this year, but that mm -hmm. didn't happen. But once I'm at a hundred, I won't be able to, you know, grow the team right. anymore. That that would definitely take too much time. And when um, when you say yeah, the ahead. team, that is basically like group mm -hmm. coaching. It's still you, just you to many as opposed yes. to you one-on-one. -on -one. Yes. So when they're onboarded, I set them up with a custom plan. And then in order to get coaching from me, they need to post in the group. So it's sort of like a Facebook group, but it's not on mm -hmm. Facebook. So they can get as much interaction with me as they want, but they have to be proactive. That's the big difference. Mm -hmm. And then I'm in that group twice a week. So gotcha. I'm not promised to be in there every single day. But if there is, you know, a question, one of the teammates will answer before I get to answer. But mm -hmm. I guarantee to respond to everybody twice a week. It really, really works well. I make a private podcast for them to also do like one to many. So mm -hmm. I do have more bandwidth there, just probably right. not so much with the one-on-one -on -one stuff. Gotcha. And the other thing that you don't have at the moment is you don't really have any sort of self-serve on-demand product stuff, right? It's you basically have the one-on-one -on -one coaching and this sort of community basically that you're in and they're, and they're getting you, but there's no, you know, I made a course, I made a video, just buy it and you're on your own, right? Right. right. I mean, I have made a course in the past mm -hmm. just sort of as a test but it was super, super rough. It actually did well, but I sort of kind of abandoned that project. But what a lot of people in my niche do is they offer generic training plans. So yeah. you want to run a 5K, you know, download this. You want to run a marathon, here's mm -hmm. the four-hour ma marathon training schedule. So that's, that's what pretty much everybody else does. And mm -hmm. I'm not opposed to it exactly, but I don't really feel like they're that good. They're not okay. that helpful because you need it to be customized. So, you know, it's, it's helpful, I suppose, as a start, but mm -hmm. I don't know, I could, I could change my mind on that. You know, gotcha. that is, that is the next way to go. I just, for some reason, I'm not in love with that idea. Gotcha. That makes sense. Let me give you a few sort of thoughts about all this and, and ways to think about it. And again, first of all, there's no right or wrong way to do this. By no means is it like, oh, you should definitely do this or not. And a lot of this is about the combination of what you want and what you want to be doing, as well as what your audience wants and needs. So the first thing I would say with that in mind is never optimize for something you don't want to do. So it seems yeah. obvious, but we all fall into this trap, especially as sort of creators and coaches and experts, whatever. You see all these things out there and you go, oh, there's an opportunity. I should have a product side to my business. Well, yeah, there might be opportunity and that might work. But if you don't actually want to do that, you shouldn't be optimizing for that. And, right. and, okay. and so I think that's the first thing to understand that as simple as sort of taking a step back and going, well, do I really want to do this? Do I want to create some sort of course or whatever? Or am I just doing it because I feel like I should or, or you know, or, or need to? So I would start with sort of that question and vice versa, right? Like it sounds like you enjoy your current format and that's working, but I see a lot of people who they're down a certain path, they're having some success and they're like, I don't, this isn't really the way I want my business to be, but they're scared to shift, like stop optimizing for the thing that you don't want to do. I've been full-time on my own for about seven years now. And I'd say for the first five years or so, even though I had some products here or there, you know, the truth was 
90% of my revenue was coming from consulting clients. And I was getting to that point where I was, oh, this is working. This is great, but I don't want to build a bigger company. I can only work with so many people. I can only charge so much. I can see where this is headed. And ultimately I'm going to sort of hit a ceiling. Right. And on top of that, I was like, you know, there's a lot of people that for a variety of reasons, I feel like could help or benefit from my stuff, but they can't access it or I don't have time or, you know, whatever. And so I very consciously made a decision. I was like, you know, I used to think about it as client revenue and non-client revenue. So 90% of my money was coming from client revenue. And I was like, you know, I would really prefer to have at least more like an even split or scale the other way, right? It'd be nice if more of my money was coming from products, which is sort of infinitely scalable and doesn't involve tons of my calendar being filled with client calls and all that kind of stuff. So I very intentionally was like, okay, that's my goal. I want to head in that direction. And in the past two to three years, I've shifted from 90% consulting revenue to maybe 60% consulting revenue. And a lot of months now, depending on what it is, it, you know, this year, while the total amount of money might be 60% consulting, because consulting pays, tends to pay more than, than products, most months is probably 70% product revenue. And that's mm -hmm. my skill sessions and ads in my newsletter primarily, right? Those things are infinitely scalable. That has unlocked for me all sorts of other stuff, even on the consulting side, because now I can work with fewer clients. I can charge higher prices. I can get better clients. I have a lot more flexibility because I have this other revenue stream that's coming in from the product stuff. Now, that is very much a personal choice on my end, it's, I'm not saying like anyone should necessarily go one way or the other, but that intentionality and going, what do I really want? What do I want my business to look like? How do I optimize for that? And I'll, I'll talk a little bit about some ways to do that. One other thing I think it's important to understand for anyone that's sort of thinking about making this shift is product buyers and service buyers are completely different people. And yeah. so even within your existing audience, you probably, obviously you have service buyers, coaching buyers that have been doing that. There's probably product buyers within your audience who would love the option to buy a product of some sort. But it's important to understand that those are not the same people. The chances are most people who have bought your service, your coaching, probably wouldn't have been interested in a product because that's not what they want. They want you. They want that support system. They want that mm -hmm. kind of thing. So understanding that, especially if you have an established audience or as you're bringing in new people, that those are actually different people. And that can be a good thing because you're like, oh, this allows me to sort of serve, you know, serve more people in different ways that they want to be served. But it is just something to, to keep in mind. In terms of sort of making the shift or, or introducing a product into your audience, a couple of pieces of advice that I found. So one is make the shift gradual. Again, it doesn't seem like you're trying to get out of the service side. Sometimes people are, they're like, I just want a product business. And they're like, all right, I'm done with all the services. And now I have my product and I hope this works. I think that the advantage of having an existing service business, and by the way, this goes both ways, even an existing mm -hmm. product business, either way you're transferring, you don't have the pressure of it has to work right away. You can experiment right. and sort of gradually build into it. The other thing, like I said before, is understanding that if you do introduce a product or products, as that revenue grows, it's going to enable you to change your service business in whatever ways you want, because mm -hmm. you're no longer just dependent on it. So you can raise the prices, you can adjust how you do it, you can work with fewer people, it can go in all sorts of different directions. 
So as you think about doing this and you think about what kind of product you, you might want to introduce if you decide to go down that road, I've got four questions here that I think are worth asking yourself before you convert to a product business or roll out a product to your service business. The first one is, can buyers do it themselves? And what that means is, whatever, however you're going to package up your expertise into a product, is that something that works as a product? Or does it really only work as a service? Does it really only work? Does it require that one-on-one? -on -one? And most cases, there's a way you can figure it out. But there are some things where it's, you know what? There is no one-size-fits-all here. There is no version of information that I can give them that's going to help them. They need the one-on-one. -on -one. They need the support. They need the community. In most cases, I don't think that's true. But it might be, and it's important to think through, can this even work as a product? The other thing to understand within that is there may be elements of what you teach that work as a product, but not the whole thing. And that's right. fine as well. So for example, you might say, and I'm completely making this up, I have no idea, but you might go, you know what? The nutrition elements of this work as a product. The training elements don't. That has to be a service. So it's important to sort of pull apart all the expertise you have, all the things that you can teach and go, which elements can work as a sort of on-demand product versus which need to be more service-based coaching interactive? Right. The second question to ask yourself, is there a big enough audience for this for it to financially make sense? Or are you undercutting your service business, assuming you're going to continue the service business, right? So this is almost the opposite of the first question where it's, well, is there enough here for it to be a valid product? Well, is there so much here that it's a valid product that people are going to be like, well, I don't even need the coaching or the community or any of that stuff. Again, I think it's unlikely. In most cases, they're differentiated enough. And especially with what you're doing, it's probably unlikely. But it is something to think about, right? You'll see people who roll out a product and maybe the product is so strong that people go, well, why do I need the service? Why do I need the community? Why do I need the whatever? Thinking through and being very strategic about the relationship between the two, if you're mm -hmm. going to run both, is really important and helpful to do. They should actually help serve each other not sort of compete with each other. Then the third question to ask yourself is, and this goes into what I was just talking about, can the, can the digital product be a stepping stone to your bigger product? This is probably the ideal and in most cases where it will be, right? So for myself, my skill sessions are, are standalone. And by the way, for anyone listening to this, you can check them out at joshspector.com slash sessions. They're standalone things that are gonna help people with very specific things. Here's the newsletter social playbook. Here's how do you use social media to grow your newsletter? You can get that. It works standalone. It's very specific. You don't need one-on-one -on -one help with me, but you might want one-on-one -on -one help with me and a bigger picture sort of getting clarity on your newsletter and all that kind of stuff, right? So those kind right. of feed into each other and, and that's the type of relationship that you want. And then the last thing here, the last question to ask yourself is if you are going to start offering products, is it one product or is it a suite of products? And I think, again, there's no right or wrong here, but those are very different options, right? Are you saying, I'm going to create one product that's the on-demand, the best on-demand version of what I offer in my main sort of service? Or, like I said, I'm going to split it up and I'm going to have, there's a nutrition product and there's a recovery product and there's a training product, there's a half marathon product, there's a whatever it is, right? 
If you go with the suite of products, which in most cases I think is probably the better approach. By the way, you can roll them out one at a time. Don't feel like you have to create a whole suite of products at launch. For sure. Um, if you do a suite of products, I am a big proponent of my skill session model, which is you can buy each of them individually or you can become a member, in my case, a member of subscription and basically get all of them and get all the new ones. So mm -hmm. that gives you a recurring entry point. It allows you to play with pricing, right? So for example, I sell individual skill sessions for $50 or annual memberships for $197. I now have been doing it for a couple of years. I put out a new session once every two months. So from that business model, you can see how that is building and building in value. And for people, they go, oh, well, if I like four of these topics, I might as well become a member and get all of it. Can right? I stop and you right there? Yes, did you, please do. Did you roll a few out at once or did you say, hey, this is my $50 product. And then you waited a while. Two months later, you had two. Two months later, you had four. Yeah. Like how, how was the actual rollout with the bundle? So what I did when I started... And by the way, I, I read super meta, but I have a skill session on this whole business model and how I did it called the session system. So you can check that out at joshspector.com slash sessions. But the way I did it was I announced that I was going to be doing these skill sessions. I said, I'm going to do one every two months. So there's going to be six a year. And right off the bat, I said, I had none of them launched. And I said, if you're interested, you can join and you're going to get six. I think I told people what the first maybe three or four topics were going to be. I said, you know, here's what they're going to be. I said, if you join and become a member, you get to attend live. I do them on Zoom. So you get to attend the presentations live. You get to ask questions. You get to vote on future topics. And so I started there. And, you know, a few people joined right off the bat because they knew what was coming. They trusted me, whatever. And then each time I'd put out a new one, I would promote that as if it was a new product. So I didn't do a bunch at first. I went one at a time. And I just always had the option of you can buy this thing individually or you can become a member. Now, what has happened is over time, that becomes more and more valuable. It's always you're going to get six a year, right? So you're going to get whatever's in the archive. So let's say after I had done three of them, right? If you join that day, you got the three I had already done plus the next six I was going to do over the course of the next year. So it just continued to build. I have since in the past you know, few months, maybe four or five months ago, added a monthly what I call jam session, which is basically a coaching Q&A. It's an open Q&A for members. So this is where it gets interesting, where you can sort of do that hybrid a bit. So now people are getting all the sessions I previously published. They're getting the next six that I do over the course of the year, the chance to attend live, the chance to vote on topics, and now a monthly Q&A coaching call that they can come to or watch on demand. So that's what the Skill Sessions product has become. But from a starting point, I don't think you need to sort of build a bunch of them. I think, especially you, you have an established business and whatever you go, look, this is, I'm doing these things. Maybe you want them. And I think what's interesting is you may have, you can figure out how you want to do it, but your existing members of your coaching program, it's, they could get access to all of them for free. Sure. Or you could say, hey, I'm doing this other thing. And if you maybe they get a discount rate if they want to join that. That's up to you how you want to structure it. But if they get it for free, now you've created an, not only do you have a standalone product, you have an additional incentive for people to join the, the membership or the coaching program. So they, mm -hmm. they work hand in hand and, and it's worked really well for me. So I, I think, but, but that, that's a key thing. 
Because you could go the other route, which again is equally fine. You could go, I want to have one digital product. And that's, you know, so you can, for people that don't want to buy this sort of coaching thing, if you buy the coaching thing, you get the digital product free. If you just want the digital product, here it is. And you don't have to worry about continually creating new products or any of that. So there's no right way to do it, but I think it's an important thing to think about. Once you go into the product world, are you doing one product or are you doing a suite of products? Yeah. And it's just a, you talking a Zoom yep. call, you know, it's Zoom no, call. nothing fancy, no, I mean, graphics, sharing your nope. screen, all that kind PowerPoint, of stuff. Yeah. PowerPoint presentation, right. uh, 40, 45 minutes and questions at the end and that's it. And then I take that and sell it individually, email people that are members and say, here you go. If you missed it, really simple. And the other thing I do too is not only do people vote on topics, but when they vote on, I give them three options. So I say, hey, here's three things that I could teach in the next session. Which do you want? I do whichever one they vote for. So I know my members are interested in it. Mm -hmm. And in that voting, I also say, what would you want? Any specific questions you want to know about it? So when I'm creating my session, I know I'm creating a session that my members want, and I'm able to actually answer specific questions they have about that topic in the thing. So it's, it's really been a, a, a very nice way to, as opposed to sort of creating in a vacuum. And even though we all know a lot about our audiences, I'm able to literally go, oh, a bunch of people said they want to know this thing about, you know, when I was doing the newsletter social playbook, it wasn't really platform specific, but I had a bunch of people say, I'd love to know how to do it on LinkedIn, on LinkedIn, on LinkedIn. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to include a LinkedIn section because I know mm -hmm. that's what they want. So, and you know, that leads it to being, you know, a really strong product. So that all makes sense. It does. It does. It's, I, I have thought about that kind of structure before sort of in a different way. I, I like that a lot because I feel like, you know, just writing a bunch of generic training plans for people yeah. to download. I've Number one, it's been done a million times before. They're all over yep. the internet. And, you know, just the sorting of all the different kinds that I would have to create, all of that, but creating little tidbits of information, yeah. I think is, could be really useful. So yeah. Like and when you idea. narrow in like the, you know, and I found it's a great way, it makes it easier for you to create and makes it more valuable for people, right? If I were to do a newsletter course, like I have two different ones on newsletters, right? One is how to use social media to, to promote your newsletter, grow your newsletter and vice versa. The other is called the newsletter booster, which is literally just a bunch of things you can do in five minutes a day to grow your newsletter. They're very narrowed in. I, you know, and I think that is really helpful and allows it to be condensed, you know, because if I were to do a quote unquote course on how to grow your newsletter, that's all over the place. There's right. so much to get into that, whereas it's hard to do. It's hard to do quickly. It's overwhelming for people. But, you know, I have another one that is the product in a day creator. And it's literally like, how do you create a product in a day versus how do you create a product, which would be a course that could go on forever. So. Yeah, it's a format that I found has worked, worked really well. Cool. So let's get to your second question. What is the next thing you want to know? So my next question uh, is that I might have a conversion problem. My churn is really low. So when people come to me, I mean, I've had clients who have given me thousands of dollars a year for many, many years. They mm -hmm. stay, they love the product or the service, I should say. But I don't feel like the volume I'm actually getting, even though it's good, I don't feel that it is really indicative of, of where it should be right mm -hmm. now. 
So, you know, my newsletter, my, I have a weekly newsletter, 6,000 roughly subscribers, mm-hmm. great open rate, 65%. So people are paying attention. And I get most of my people from either Instagram, where I have a good following there, and a, I have a pretty popular podcast. So I have eyes on me, mm-hmm. and I just feel like, where, what's missing here? What, am I not converting them? So that, that's cool. what I'm wondering. Yeah, it's again a good question, and I think something that that all of us feel and 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 I, you know, it's funny. I was going to say struggle with, but I also think sometimes we assume we're struggling, and it's not actually struggling because we have no idea what to actually right. expect, right? And so, first of all, congratulations on on the audience that you have and and the engagement and all of that is awesome. One thing to keep in mind, and we all do this, is just even how you define an audience. So we tend to look at, I have this many subscribers, I have this many openers, I have this many followers, I have this many whatever. But the truth is all of our audiences are smaller than we think. So when we look at conversions and we go, I'll take myself, right? I have 40,000 newsletter subscribers and I, and I have around, you know, a little over 400 members in my skill sessions. And I look at that and I go, I have a good open rate. All these people are reading my newsletter. Shouldn't I have more? I'm happy with what I have, but shouldn't I, shouldn't I have more? I think some of that is we overestimate those numbers, gotcha. that the number of people yeah. that are actually seeing our stuff that are actually, you know, even opens with newsletters are now tricky and open rates aren't the most, you know, precise number in the world. So the first thing is to understand is that when we're feeling like maybe my conversion rate should be higher, some of that is we're overestimating our actual audience size and actual reach. The other thing that we're definitely overestimating is our audience's awareness of what we offer. So I've, t- I've mentioned this exercise before. For example, you have, you have a big Instagram following and you have 50, you said you have like 56,000 on Instagram and 6,000 on your newsletter. I guarantee you, if you run a poll or a survey on Instagram and say, do you know I have a newsletter? You will be shocked how many people say they didn't know. Shocked. Yeah. Every time I do this, every time, and I'm like in the newsletter space, I talk about it all the time. I don't know how you could follow me and not know that I'm like a newsletter guy and that I have a newsletter and I'll still get 10, 15% of my Twitter followers are like, I didn't know you had a newsletter. So I would run that survey. And what will happen is, first of all, you'll be shocked. and, And that's just about your newsletter, right? So a large portion of your loyal audience doesn't realize your product exists, no matter how often you've talked about it, right? It, it's it's <laughs> shocking. And you we all feel like we're mentioning it over and over again and we're constantly promoting it. They don't know. And I've done this with everything. Do you know I have a podcast? Do you have a do you know I have a YouTube channel? No idea. I have people on my newsletter that I am sending podcast episodes every week and they go, I had no idea you had a podcast. So right. start there and and do that. And it'll be eye-opening to you and it'll remind you I'm not talking about this stuff enough. And that's part of the conversion issue is actually just an awareness issue, even within your, your own audience. The other thing is, so do you know, when you're talking about conversion rate, are you looking at it based on conversion rate of how many people are hitting your sales page or conversion rate of your audience in general? Probably my audience in general, because I'm not really, I I don't spend a lot of time with analytics. I mean, I'll Mm -hmm. look at it a little bit, but I couldn't tell you any of the numbers. I don't, you know, sit down and do the retro every month. I don't do that. That's a pain point. If you know anyone that can solve that for me. (laughs) 
So one thing I, you can I'm not do, sure, honestly. Yeah. So one thing you can do really simply, I assume you have some sort of way to measure your website traffic, Google yeah. Analytics or whatever. Go there, go to your sales page. Because I assume there's a page that people, even though people may see it all different places, there's some place where they go to buy, right? Right. Go to that page, see how many people visited it in the last month, the last three months, pick whatever metric you want. And you know how many sales you made. Yeah. So at its base level, that's your sales page conversion rate. Because there's, and I know we're going to talk about funnels in a bit, but there's really different steps here, right? So let's say hypothetically you do have a conversion problem. Do you have a conversion problem because your sales page isn't converting or because you're not getting people to the sales page? Exciting. My guess is when you see how many people are getting to the sales page and how many are buying, your conversion rate's probably better than you think it is. There's probably not as, and those are different problems that are easily solvable, right? So if you, if, if you feel like no matter what the numbers are, you can go, okay, let me look at my sales page and I can try some things and maybe increase this percentage. Because that one number is really easy to get because you're only looking at those two stats, which are easy to see. You can also go, well, let me see what happens if, I, you know, I drove 100 people to my sales page last month or three months or whatever. If my goal was to get 300 people there next month, what would I do? That's doable, right? You're like, I'll promote it in my newsletter more. I'll promote it in Instagram more. You'll see that number go up. And then what's interesting is then you go, okay, so let's just say last month I had 100 people there and two of them bought. So I had 2% conversion rate. Now I drove 300 people there and six of them bought, which I think, again, is a 2% conversion rate. I'm not good with math. But now that's telling you something, right? You're like, okay, my page is converting basically at 2%. So now I know if I get more people there, it's going to get 2%. Now let me make some tweaks to the sales page. Oh, it went up to 3% or it went down to 1%. Or whatever, right? So without getting crazy like data person with a million things, you can just very simply start to get a sense of what is actually happening. So that that's one thing you can do. The other thing is as you once you get a sense a little bit of that number, you can also go look at just in general, is your audience growing and is the conversion rate sort of staying similar? There, there's multiple steps in this, right? Maybe you have a conversion rate issue or not on your sales page. Maybe you're having, you're not driving your existing audience to your sales page, or maybe you're not bringing in new people to get to your, to your sales page, right? And each of those things are relatively, I don't want to say they're easy to solve, but they're easy to try to solve. If you're like, my goal is to get more of my existing audience to this sales page, it's not that hard to come up with things you can do to try to make that happen. I think one of the things that, that where we get tripped up is we do this broad generalization of, I have a conversion problem. Yeah. And we all do. I can look at it and go, oh, I have, I should have, I have a bigger audience. Why don't I have more buyers or members or whatever? And it's, that's an oversimplification of, that's lumping all these elements in together. And it's much easier to sort of go element by element and see, well, let me see what's actually happening here. And again, even going back to that awareness piece, you know, one thing I've done with that survey is, and I wish I had the numbers. I don't, I don't remember them exactly. But at one point I asked on Twitter, I just, I literally just did a poll and I was like, do you know, I have a podcast and I don't remember what the numbers were, but a lot of people didn't know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I was like, I need to tell people more about this. I need to, you know, talk about it more, whatever. And a couple months later, again, same question. Did you know I have a podcast and the numbers got better? And I was like, oh, I can actually see that I have built, I have increased awareness, you know, and that's a very simple. I think so much of this sort of data and funnels and all that is 
it's intimidating and it seems way more complicated than it needs to be. But at yeah. its core, that simple thing, do you know I offer this thing? And some people are going to say yes or no or whatever. And that's the advantage of you have a, a good sized audience already. So if you're looking to increase conversions on your offer, there are four things that you can do really easily. The first one is you can ask people who have bought your offer why they bought open-ended question, and then pay close attention to the words they use, and then look to incorporate that language into your copy. You will also, if you ask multiple people sort of individually and have conversations with them, and especially if you have conversations with them right after they buy, so they haven't really accessed the product yet. Because once they access the product, they might go, oh, I bought because I love this community. Well, you didn't know about that community when you first bought, right? Right. So when someone buys, go ask them, why did you decide to join this? And you will start to notice some trends, right? They might start to say, you might see multiple people who use the word frustrated. I was so frustrated with my training. You might see multiple people who use the word intimidated. I was so intimidated, I didn't know how to get started. Well, now you can go back to your sales page copy and literally have stuff in there that's, are you frustrated that you can't train consistently? Are you intimidated mm -hmm. by all the advice out there? The words, what resonates with your buyers will resonate with and attract other buyers. So that's an easy, easy thing to do. A few conversations with buyers. Mm -hmm. The next thing you can do to increase your conversions is create urgency, right? With some sort of stunt. It doesn't have to be a sale. It can be, it can be a bonus. It can be anything that gives people a reason to buy now, to buy this week, to buy today versus I'll get to it sometime. Price increases are great for that. If you're going to do a price increase, always spend a week beforehand mentioning that it's going up and all of a sudden everybody's going to buy. The other thing you can do is create a, I did this with my skill sessions where I did a, this was actually before the price went up, but I did a, what I called skill sessions week. And for a week, all I did was talk about them and share excerpts and provide value, not just like buy, 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 not sales messaging, right? but, but a week's worth of here's an excerpt from this session and here's an excerpt from that session and price is going up on Monday. And I almost doubled my membership that week compared to what it had been like the year before. And it was all those people who were like, when I would ask them after they bought, I would get a lot of, oh, I've been meaning to join and I just haven't pulled the trigger and now I'm doing it. And oh, it was so cool to see all that stuff. And from an awareness point of view, if you literally brand the week, I forget, what's the name of your program? Of the, the team, you mean, or yeah. like my business? So it's called the PR team, you know, planted runner, but okay. PR is personal record. So yeah. Okay. So imagine if you have, it's PR team week and all I'm going to do in my newsletter, like when I did it, it was my newsletter. It was my podcast. It was my social posts. It's all going to be PR team stuff. And I'm going to share stuff that's gone on in there. I'm going to show people what's in there. I'm going to, you know, maybe interview some of the members or give their best tips or whatever. I'm going to make it impossible for anyone in my audience not to know this exists by the end of the week. And you will see an increase. And if you can tie that with some urgency as well, a sale, a discount, a whatever, you know, a bonus, that can be really bonus, helpful. Bonus, yeah. I can't go uh, any lower in the price. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But yeah. so bonuses, you know, and again, if you, let's say you're going to launch a product, right? You buy this week, you also get access to the product that's coming out or exactly. whatever. Yeah. The third thing is do individual outreach to your audience's most likely buyers. So one thing was go talk to people who have bought and find out why they bought. 
But now there are people in your audience and you can tell this a lot by who clicks what links on your newsletter. I'm sure you know certain types of people that you're like, this person really should be a member of my thing. They fit the thing. So go reach out to them individually. I've actually been direct messaging some people on LinkedIn and Twitter that when I, they engaged with something on my post, you could do this with Instagram. They engaged mm -hmm. with something. I look at their profile. I'm like, this is the perfect person for what I do, right? Because not everyone in your audience is going to be a perfect fit for, for, the, for the product. So I'm direct messaging them and I'm not saying, hey, buy my product, but I'm getting to know that and I'm saying, hey, I saw you're a coach and what are you working on? You need any help? And they go, I'm really trying to get clients. Oh, I'd love to send you some free resources. And, and I literally will be like, you know, here's an episode of my podcast where I talk about that. Here's whatever. And I'll go, oh, and by the way, I have these skill sessions. One of them's the client generator on how to get clients. I'll send it to you for free. If you like it and you want to become a member, here's how you do it, whatever. So mm -hmm. I'm promoting it in a very specific way, but not pay by my thing. I'm giving them value. And I know this person just told me they're looking for clients. You can't do that with everyone, but you can identify people. You could look at your newsletter and go, who are the people that clicked the link to my sales page? Who are right. the people that are considering this? And can I nudge them over with yeah. a message, an email, a something? Hey, you want to join the community for a week? And you know you want you want to come on you want to come on Tuesday when I do my Q and A and you can just mm -hmm. kind of see what it's all about. The best way to sell a product is with the product, in my right. in my opinion. So how can you have them experience a small version of the product? And then the fourth thing, the last the last way you can something simple you can do to increase conversions is the people who don't buy, right? Who you know checked it out, who visited the sales page, who. You know, you know that they're aware of it. Maybe they asked you a question about it, whatever. Again, have an individual conversation with them and about why they didn't buy. And again, pay attention to, the, to their words. You're not trying to convince them at this point, but you're trying to get information that you can then use to update your sales page. So they, they might say, oh, I didn't buy because, here's a great example. I didn't buy because it's about to be winter and I'm not going to be running as much because it's right. cold. Well, maybe that leads you to add something to the sales page that counters that objection. Maybe it leads you to say something like, you know, I, I get it. It might be winter, you know, but actually summer starts now. Like we yeah. talk about things that you can be doing even when you can't go outside. So the next person that's like them is like, oh, wait, okay, maybe it does make sense for me to do this now, right? Again, that's mm -hmm. a rough example, but learning from in their own words, what people who buy, what people who theoretically should be buying or what people who didn't buy, why that is, can all be incorporated into your sales page and will boost conversions. Mm -hmm. Good. Any questions about any of that? Wow. I mean, there's so much there. So I do already survey the people who come to me mm -hmm. because I need to obviously understand what kind of runner mm -hmm. they are before I build their program. So I ask them what their biggest struggles are, what what they're having a hard time with. And, you know, the same themes come up over and over again. Mm -hmm. So I really understand all of their Do you struggles. incorporate that into your sales page? I have... And not so much into my sales page in mm -hmm. other kind of ways, but not directly on the sales page. So yeah. I definitely need to use those words. Into your sales page and then also in your social content, in your newsletter, in your yes. whatever. They're, the they're, they're, writing, they're writing copy for you. It's great mm -hmm. that you have that. And I assume in your survey, you're asking some open-ended questions. You're not just multiple yeah, choice. Yeah. Yep. Cool. No, I get yep. paragraphs. 
<laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Great. So let's get to let's get to your third question. What's the last thing you want to know? Well, I want to know, I, I guess it, you would call it a funnel, but getting people into the program, sometimes I get them there, sometimes I don't. But I think after, I'm going to kind of update my question after we've already talked about a lot of yeah. this. I don't really have a great system to reconnect with people that have gone through some of my programs. So for example, the custom training plan, you, you get your custom training plan. It's awesome. You run your marathon. You either never hear from me again or you mm -hmm. have to reach out to me for either your next plan or to upgrade to coaching. I don't really have a way that's set up. So what would okay. be some good systems for that? So let's use that. I love using specifics. So let's use the custom training plan as an example. So the custom training plan, I assume, is free. Someone gives an email. So take me through sort of how. No, no, no. Oh, no. it's a paid product. Yeah. Okay. It's so a paid take me product. through how they discover it. What they what happens. Yeah. So let's say you're you're training for a marathon and you um, choose your plan. And what I do is I create a plan. I do use templates, but it is mm -hmm. completely custom to who you are. You fill out a survey, okay. you pay your money, and it's it's completely unique to you and your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And it tells you exactly what to run, when, what kind of paces, every like tons and tons of detail. It's like huge, huge value. Okay. But then you DIY coaching on your own. So you have okay. access to this digital plan and then you run your race and you either follow the plan or you don't. You get success or you don't. And then I don't have a good system in place when they're done with their race. So they first find out about it because they're in your audience, I'm assuming, right. in some way. They follow you on Instagram. They're in your newsletter. Yep. They saw somewhere that you promoted the custom training plan. Yes. They clicked yes. on it. They went to some sort of sales page. Yes. They paid X amount for it. They then had a call or something with you or they fill out a survey and then you come back or yeah, come they back fill to out them a survey. Say, There's no calls. There's no okay. calls. They fill out a survey. Yeah. So I have lots of freebies. I have lots of automation yeah. on Instagram, you know, to comment this word and you go through, you know, you get the freebie, all of what that. What do they pay for the custom training plan? A marathon plan is $115. Okay. And what's the price of your, uh, your membership? $99 a month, but it's quarterly or annually. So $300 okay. to join the team, $115 okay. to just get a three-month plan. So they get, you send them, they fill out their survey, whatever, you send them their plan. Mm -hmm. uh, they theoretically put it to use, go run their thing. You never hear from them again. That means lots of people renew and, and are like, oh, it was so great. I'm going to join you again. But I don't have a good system in place to reach out to them proactively. Okay. So a couple, a couple of things you could do here really easily. So one is when they're doing that, do you automatically opt them into your newsletter or do you ask if they want to receive your yes, newsletter? They're opted okay. in. So they are continuing to hear from you. Yes. Yes. I think in so. theory, in, in theory, right? in theory, okay. they are in theory. They so are. one thing you might want to do is you might want to pull a few of those people and go look at their history on your newsletter and see if, have they continued to open and read or did they just disappear and they got their mm -hmm. training plan and they're gone, right? To see if right. they're still sort of in your, in your audience or not. The next thing is you absolutely should have a follow-up email that mm -hmm. goes to them and says, How did, how's the training going? Maybe a couple. How's the training going? How's the, how did the race go? Any of that kind of 
stuff so that it's you're sort of checking in on them. And again, that can be automated. You know, you could set it up so that every, you know, two weeks after they purchase, they get an email, you know, how's it going? Did you have any questions? That kind of thing. The other thing you can do is I would create a upgrade or upsell offer. So what I do with my skill sessions is when somebody buys an individual session for $50 or whatever, they're all, I send them and I send this right away. You don't have to do it right away. You could do it when you check back in with them. It's up to you or experiment with that. But I say, you know, thanks so much for buying this session. When you watch it, if you like and like it, if you'd like to upgrade to a membership, I'll refund your original purchase. So what I'm trying to do is actually turn that $50 into $197 annual membership. So I think you could absolutely do that because now the equation, number one, I want them to make sure they know that that's available, that that's a thing, right? This goes back to awareness. But the other thing is their entire calculation is now different because now they're going, they spent, I forget what you said, 150 for the training program. Mm-hmm. So now they're going, I'm already in for 115. Mm-hmm. So I've already committed to spend. I got this thing. It was really helpful. It was really good. I can get my 115 back, you know, and you can phrase it however you want, right? Yeah. So you don't have to do a refund. You could go, I'll give you two free months, which is a $200 value, or, you know, you can do it yeah. however you want to do it. But now they're in a different place because before, maybe when they looked at the membership or considered it, they hadn't experienced anything from you other than your free content. They are considering, is this worth $99 a month or, you know, they're looking at the bigger number. Now they're like, I already bought from her. It was really valuable. I've already spent money. Now I'm getting a deal. I'm getting a discount, even though it's not really a discount. You're just, you know, sort of trading, whatever. So I would definitely do that. And there will be people, I get lots of people who upgrade off that initial initial purchase into a membership. And so I think just just doing those things would help you a ton because it doesn't. Would you set it up? I mean, I already, when they buy and I say, here's your plan, here's how it works. I do say, if you want to upgrade, you can do it for seven days or whatever. But as far as the follow-up, would you set like an evergreen email chain or something like that up? You know, so, you know, you have these automatic emails. How's it going? Because my problem mm-hmm. with doing that is some people will buy today, but the plan doesn't start for four more weeks. Or some people will buy today and the plan starts tomorrow, you know, because it's it works backwards from their race date. So when they buy is not always when they start. And that has been my problem setting but up automations. Know, so, but, but I do you know, know their, the end date, yes. You know their race date. Right. right. And so so you can you can do it based on the rate date race date. You could also do it when you are you because it's individual. Right. So you just sending right. individual emails to them. Yeah. So so you could do this. Right. You will know the day that you send them the email with the plan. So you could say, I'm always going to email them. I'm going to add the tag on the day that I send them the email. Mm-hmm. And so they're always going to get an email a week or two weeks after they got the plan. Mm-hmm. Hey, checking in, you know, wanted to make sure you've had time to read over the plan. Let me know if you have any questions. So you could do it that way by manually adding the tag on the right. day that you send the plan. And then and then that tag figuring out, okay, I want to give them a, I'm making this up, but I want to give them a, like you might say, I want to give them a one week email and say, hey, have you had a chance to go through the plan? Let me know if you have any questions, blah, blah, blah. You could also do something that's much later, right? You could do, okay, well, they're all, I'm going to do a six month later email. And go, it's been six months, just want to check in. Because you might know like whatever the plan is, like by right. six months, they've definitely run their race, no matter when the race right. was in theory. Right. right. 
right. So can't believe it's been six months since I set your plan. How did the race go? Yeah. You know, would love okay. to hear how it went, would love to, you know, whatever, um, that kind of thing. So that's what I would do. And I would do a sort of short-term one of like, what do you think of the plan? And then a longer-term one of, and if you wanted, you could even do a year later and go, hard to believe it's been a year since I sent you that training plan. Any races coming up, need another plan. Again, maybe you can get repeat buyers that way. Maybe you offer a discount. Hey, happy anniversary of your plan. If you want another one for an upcoming race, I'll give you a 10% discount or whatever. Okay. See, I was overthinking all of this so much. That's so much more simple. I was trying to be like, okay, so how can I code it so that it's 13 weeks back and all this stuff? And it was getting so complicated. I just dropped the ball on it completely. I know the feeling. Like I'm always like all these tools, it, it's, you know, they're great to have, but it's, it's so, it can overcomplicate things. Like I'm always trying to figure out like, what is the the simplest way that I can do this stuff? Just one more thing here before, just some sort of quick fire ideas for ways you can improve your funnel, whatever your, your funnel is. Right. And there's, there's six experiments you can run to, to see if you can improve your funnel. So the first is you can always shrink your funnel. Right. A lot of people have these very complicated funnels with a million steps and a million emails. I talked to someone once who had a 29 email sequence before it got to the offer. And I was like, I don't think that I don't think that's helping you. Right. But so shrink it. Right. So look at whatever you're doing and go, okay, there's, you know, even if there's three steps, maybe we get to two. Maybe we get to one. See what happens if you shrink it and get to the offer quicker. The second thing you can try is the opposite. Expand your funnel. Deliver more value up front and, and see, you know what, maybe right now I'm giving them three emails worth of value and let's see what happens if I give them five. Like, again, you can you can play with the, the size and see what happens. Another experiment you can run is drive non-buyers to a new funnel. So if you have people going through some sort of funnel, let's say it's an email sequence or whatever, they express interest in something they get, you know, again, I'm talking about email, but funnels operate in all sorts of different ways. But whatever it is, they eventually get to that point where it's, you're going to buy or what? Well, when they choose or what, a lot of times people, it just ends. But instead, offer them an alternative to buying that's a new funnel, right? So maybe you go, they go through this sort of training plan funnel. And at the end of the day, they don't buy the training plan. But you go, oh, you know, or I also do nutrition plans. Do you want to learn about this? And so you ship them to a new funnel that maybe fits better for them, right? Or, and it could be based on a sort of different transformation or skill, or it could be based on a different emotion. If you don't want a training plan, maybe you feel like what's holding you back is not the knowledge, but the motivation. Mm -hmm. I put together a couple of resources about how to stay consistent or boost your motivation if you'd like them, right? So give them them an an off-ramp that isn't just, okay, we're done and get them down down a different path. The next thing you can do to experiment to improve your funnel, test a different emotional hook. So emotion drives a lot of buying and the chances are in your funnel, there's probably one or two sort of emotional pegs that you're going to, right? They feel overwhelmed. They feel confused. They feel whatever. You could take the same existing funnel and tweak your copy to play up a different emotion. So as opposed to this is all about, oh, I'll help you figure out what to do because you don't know what to do. The next time, you know, maybe you tweak it and now that funnel becomes about you feel completely overwhelmed. You feel like you can't do it. You feel like whatever. So change, switching up the emotions can, re, mm-hmm. you, you know, you can experiment and find something that clicks much better. The other thing you can do is you can split your offer. So a lot of times people are using a funnel to drive to sort of whatever one 
quote, and I don't mean big in terms of price, but like one big offer, you could pull a piece of that out and go instead. So for example, instead of just going through the funnel and then trying to sell them the $115 training plan, maybe within that you have a smaller offer that's a $25 one day training exercise or what, you know, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. But you take a piece of that and see if that works, right? Do you get people is it that the big offer at the end, it's tougher for, to get them to convert and there's something sort of smaller along the way? And then the last one, again, we talked about increase urgency. Urgency is just the biggest thing to, and if you don't have to do it in a you know manipulative way. Don't pretend that this is the last day you can get the offer when that's not true. But you know, urgency can take all sorts of forms, right? I, was, I had a client who sold a product to bas- high school basketball coaches. And, you know, he can create urgency with the season is coming, right? Exactly. Like, Me too. The, the, yeah. time, the season is coming. Or if it's not the season, you can create a story of, you know, you don't think your season starts until November, but the truth is what you do in the summer to prepare is what's going to lead to success in November, right? So giving constantly experimenting with reasons for people to buy now, and it doesn't just have to be discounts and prices and bonuses, although it can be all of that stuff. But it can be, it can be limits. It can be because your work is custom. You could go, you know, my, for example, my clarity calls, I'm now only, I, I now only do one a month. So that's creating urgency because if you want a clarity call, like book it now, or otherwise we're going to be talking (laughs) about four or five months from now. Right. But so for your custom training plans, you could go, I have limited slots available. It's not, I'm not doing custom training plans for everyone that wants one. I do X amount per month. And you've given people a reason to pull the trigger now as opposed to going, oh, I'll think and wait and do it later. Or to reserve a future spot, right? So maybe they know they're running a race six months from now, but go, you know, you should really buy and reserve that today. Don't right. wait four months because four months from now I might be full. Right. So, I like that. Um, there you go. So now you'll get all the conversions you can you can handle. Speaking of getting you more conversions, tell people where they can where they can find you, where they can check out your stuff, where they can join the team. Absolutely. Yeah. So I am the planted runner. My main social channel is Instagram. So you certainly can follow me there. I've also written a book called The Planted Runner, Run Your Best with Plant-Based Nutrition, which is right there if you're watching it on YouTube. And if you would like to learn more about me or get a free fueling guide, go to theplanetrunner.com slash join, J-O-I-N. Cool. Awesome. And for more of my nonsense, check out my newsletter for theinterested.com slash subscribe. My skill sessions, which I mentioned before, joshspector.com slash sessions. I'm on Twitter all the time at Jay Spector. If you would like to come on this podcast and ask me three questions, go to joshspector.com slash questions to submit them. And that's about it. Claire, thank you so much. Thanks for these questions. I know lots of people in my audience are going to hopefully find them. My answer is valuable. Have a great week. See everybody next time.